Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So we're in week two now of our All In series, and we're going through the book of Nehemiah and talking about how Nehemiah rebuilt the walls with, with the team around him in 52 days around the city of Jerusalem and just an incredible story of faith, the incredible story of stepping out, of trusting God, of, of, of hearing the Lord and responding to God. And we're walking through that over these next few weeks. And, and last week we talked about how Nehemiah became aware of the need and how he asked the question, how are things back home? Probably not fully expecting the answer that he received, and and God breaks him. We talked about how he began to weep and pray, and how it caused him to to be aware, and the awareness caused him to say, we have to do something. We have to do something. So this week, we're going to continue, and we'll be in chapter 2 of Nehemiah as we talk about responding to God. We talk about responding to God. Have you ever had a job that you knew needed to be done, but it needed to be done right, and you weren't the person for it? So you go, there is the person for it. I know there's the right person. I know the right person to do the job, and I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to say, you are the person for the job. You are better at this than I am, and it's going to be better. If you, you have those, those things where you go, listen, that is beyond me. Like, if I was to ever have to rebuild the transmission or something in my car, I'm not the guy for the job. That sounds like a good way to total something, in my opinion, and it wouldn't work, right? We've had those moments where you go, okay, there is a right person for the job. There is somebody that needs to be doing this, and and so you reach out to them. Have you ever had, you call them and they don't answer, and you're going, I I really need them to do this. Like, I can't do this, right? Uh, You know, you go, okay, I'm going to call them again. I'm going to call, let me reach out, let me try again. So then you call and you call and you call and you send them like four texts like, hey, call me back when you get a chance. Hey, here's what I need. If you can call me. Hey, really, are you alive? Are you okay? Do we need to send out the search party? And you're sending them emails, you're doing all this stuff and you cannot get a hold of them and you're going, this, is, this isn't good. I had a guy recently, we really were having a little bit of car trouble and some difficulty. And so I have a friend of mine who's a mechanic down in, in, in the Cedar Hill area. So I, I, I call him and he doesn't answer. And so then I shoot him a text, and I get this auto-reply back. And guess what? He was on vacation in Costa Rica. And I was like, you lousy, good. I'm just kidding. You know, it was just one of those letdown moments. You're like, well, you are the person. You're the right guy for the job. I know you're good, and he's, he's good to me, and he takes care of us. And so it's like, man, I, I was going to use this. And I couldn't because he was unavailable. He, he couldn't respond. He couldn't respond when when the call came. He couldn't respond. He wasn't available to hear my need or my request or or what had to be done. So I've been in that position time and time and time again where you go, I really wish this person would immediately respond. And we have those people, right? There's those other times when when I've needed something and I call the person and they go, yeah, I can be there in, in 30 minutes. And I'm like, Okay, well, I wasn't expecting 30 minutes. So I'm not ready for you to come and help yet. So give me give me an hour and then show up, right? And you're like, wow, you're really prompt. Like you're on it. The call came and you're like, let's do it. And I was like, oh, sweet. I needed to plan better. I didn't expect you to say yes, right? And then you have those that are like, you know, I'll get back to it. I'll get to you when I can. But sometimes God calls us to do something and he sees us and he thinks they'd be perfect for this moment. They'd be perfect for this job. They'd be perfect for this task. 
when they try to get a hold of us, he tries to get a hold of us, and, and sometimes we're unavailable, or we don't respond, or we let it go to voicemail, or we let God send us several text messages, which if that ever happens, show me. I want to see that. Uh, but we're not available to respond. Some of us are really good at picking up the phone, though, and calling back immediately, and others of us are on vacation in Costa Rica. I guess nobody in this room is, but not literally, anyways. The big idea today is this. The question is not how will God respond. Rather, the question is who will respond to God? Too often we see the need, we're aware of the need, and we think, okay, God, how are you going to do this? Where is my big Red Sea moment where you're going to part the waters? And, and he's like, this is not what I'm at. that's not what I'm doing. And we ask the question, God, how are you going to take care of this? How are you going to do this? And God is saying, no, 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 no. The question isn't how, rather who. Who is going to respond? Who's going to see the need, be aware of the need, and say, you know what? I can be a part of this solution. I can be a part of fixing this. I can be a part of jumping out. See, there's a lot of times where God will place things in our heart and he'll instill them in us. And instead of us wanting, you know, instead of God saying, okay, now just pray, just pray, just pray, and I'll do, he's saying, pray, pray, and pray, and respond. I'm gonna use you. So let's look at Nehemiah this morning as we, as we walk through this and we talk about his faith to respond to God. And do we have the faith to step out and trust God when he speaks? And we'll start with the first three verses today. If we were to just read the whole chapter through, it would take way too long. So let's just jump into Nehemiah chapter two, verse one through three. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be, this can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look so sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Let's pray real fast. Father, anoint my words today as I speak your word. And I pray, God, that you lead this and that you allow this to be something that is used by you in a moment that changes hearts and challenges us to respond to your calling. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to talk about is that he had faith to wait. He had faith to wait. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is wait. Have you ever had something in, in, in your heart and on your mind and you're going, I want to get this done, I want to do this, and you jump into it and it wasn't either the right timing or you didn't fully understand how to do it and, and things got all out of order and they end up just becoming a bigger mess and creating a larger problem and you end up having to backtrack and backtrack to fix, to fix, to fix, to fix so that then you can move forward again, right? Because you were like so passionate, so excited, we're going to do this, we're going to make it happen and then you jump in and you go, wait a minute, I shouldn't have jumped in, I don't know what I'm doing. I have a tendency to do things like that all the time because I get really passionate, really excited, and then I jump in with both feet and I go, wait a minute, I don't know how to do this, but I come by it honestly. A couple months ago, my parents, who, who moved to Springfield recently, and they bought this house. It's a little bit of a fixer, but it's a nice house, which is little projects here and there, and they decided, my mom decided rather, that she was going to tackle the, the little hall bath, but she wasn't going to do much. She just thought, you know what, I can hang a little bit of wallpaper here and do some paint and, and I'll be well. Then my dad gets involved. 
Now, disclaimer about my father is typically he really knows what he's doing when it comes to construction and building and things of that nature. He was a framer for a long time. He was a roofer. So he's got a lot of experience. However, on this particular occasion, he missed one measurement and he got ahead of himself. So he comes in and he says, you know what? Here's what we're doing. We're going to go and we're going to get the nice Wayne's coating. It's going to be awesome because they're trying to go pretty classy with this bathroom, right? Even though it's just a hall bath, but people use it more than others, right? So they want it to look good. So they get, he gets this Wayne's coating, puts all the stuff, and thought, you know what? We need a new counter in here. So he goes and he, he kind of measures what he needed, sends it over, gets a, like a custom counter made for this thing. And he's like, we're going to change the light fixture. He's doing all of this stuff. And, and, and he has a friend in town who is an incredible carpenter. And he thought, hey, Mark and I can knock this out. And Mark wasn't there for all of the measuring and whatnot, and he is just trusting my father in this process. And it gets down to it, and they get it all done, and my dad goes to put on the new counter, and he forgot to measure the depth of the new counter in the process. And it was deeper than what the original counter was, which meant that it does not fit in this bathroom. It's awesome. Makes me feel better about myself. This is good, right? (laughs) My dad listens to a lot of our recorded messages, so I'm sure he's going to hear this one, and I'll get a phone call in about a week and a half. So it'll be good. So he has to pull the counter back out. He has to take the wainscoting off the wall. He has to remeasure, go back, recut, touch up the paint, then put the counter back in. And it made me, like I said, feel really good about myself. But a lot of times we do that in a lot of things where we get excited, we get passionate, and we miss little details. We miss things. We miss the preparation and the process to be ready. And see, Nehemiah had the faith to wait. And we saw that it was there in the month of Nisan or Nisan or however you want to pronounce it. And, and that would have been about three to four months after he asked the question, how are things back home? Which means that for three to four months, he has been in mourning over the city and praying over his city and asking God, what do we do? How do we fix this problem? And so you know it's building in him. It is stirring in him. And he probably wants to jump at it and go, but he knows he doesn't have the privilege or the freedom to do so as somebody who worked for the king. And so he's got this stirring in him and he's wanting to jump and go, but he has the faith to wait, to know that. God didn't place this burden or this passion in his heart for no reason at all, but God has placed it there for a reason and that if he just has the faith to wait, he'll have the opportunity to respond. And a lot of times we want to rush it. We want to jump after it. We're like, you know what? I, I see this need. I see this problem. Let's go do it. And God maybe is saying, well, pump the brakes. There's certain things that have to fall in alignment in order for you to walk in the fullness of what I'm trying to do to walk into the the grace of what I'm leading you into. So there's a lot of little things that we pick up on in these first three verses. And the first thing is one, yes, it was about three or four months. So he's spending all of this time in prayer and just building and anticipating the moment. The next thing it says that the king says, he had never seen him sad before. Do you want to know why he had never seen him sad before? Because that was almost a death wish in this culture. This is the craziest thing in the world when you really look at historically. As a a servant of the king, as as the cupbearer in the presence of the king, they were required to withhold and hide all emotion. They couldn't show sadness or sorrow. They couldn't show anger or frustration in front of the king because it could be perceived by the king as them plotting to kill the king or overthrow the king, which is kind of a crazy like twist of thoughts. You go, wow, because he's sad, you think he's going to kill you? Like that's, what, like, that's what's weighing on his mind? But he couldn't show sorrow in front of the king. 
And so it, it, when he even says, he mentions, the king says, I've never seen you sad before. It has to be sorrow of the heart. And he talks about how he was afraid. He said, and I was afraid, but I continued, but I, and I spoke up in that moment. Because there was a real fear connected. This could be his life hanging in the balance simply by being afraid. But God, in his infinite wisdom, was leading him to the exact moment in time when the king would be open and receptive to hear what Nehemiah would have to say. And then he ordained his words. He led his words in, in, in speaking about th- this place where his, his ancestors had been buried. See, there was a heavy respect for the dead in, in that culture and in that time period. And so by, by leading him to say, it's where the city where my ancestors are buried is going to speak to the heart of that king. Rather than saying, the city that you, you know, your dad destroyed is where I'm from, and I really don't like that, right? That's probably not going to speak as well to the king uh, than saying, it's where my ancestors are buried. It's in ruins. It's in shambles. And it speaks to the king's heart. See, Nehemiah had the faith to wait. He had the faith to wait. And that can be, at times, the most difficult thing to do. I have dreams for this church. There are things that I want to see happen with this church and, and things that I want to see take place all over this city through this church. And if I was to just jump and say, we're going to do, 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 we're going to do this over, we're going to run after this, we're going to make that, you know what I would do? Ultimately, I would drive this church into crazy, crazy amounts of debt. We would wipe out all of the cash. People would begin to leave because it would be horrible. It would be awful. It would be the worst thing that I could possibly do would be to jump after these, these heavy dreams and ambitions that I have for this church because it's not in the right timing. And I have to have faith enough to say, okay, God, you're leading this and there are steps along the way. There is process in place that I have to be willing to walk in and to be obedient in as God leads us to the fulfillment of those dreams. Nehemiah had the faith to wait. Nehemiah had the faith to wait. The question is not how will God respond, but who will respond to God? And will we be obedient in waiting for his timing? But when the moment presented, him, presented itself, he didn't back down. He had the faith to ask. The second thing is he had faith to ask. Let's look at verses four through eight. It said, the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Mind you, this small prayer that he he prays in this moment is backed now by three and four months of continuous prayer. So this isn't the first prayer he's throwing up to heaven like, all right, God, here we go. Let's do this. You know, no, there's been preparation and time backing this, this, this quick prayer. He said, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that it can, so I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And then he doesn't answer that question in, in here, but it says, then it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of, of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until... I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates uh, of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall. 
and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. What an incredible moment. So for four months, he's been praying. For four months, he's been preparing. For four months, God is stirring this in him. He's going, we need to fix the city. We need to build the walls again around Jerusalem. We need to, to do, it needs to happen. I can't just, I can't sit here any longer. So for four months, he's praying and it's building in him. And then the moment comes and the king recognizes his sadness. He says, what do you want? And he doesn't back down. He doesn't shy away or say, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. I'm so sorry. I'll fix it. I'll, I'll be happy from now on. I apologize. No, 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 no. He doesn't back down or shy away. In the moment, he has faith to ask. He recognizes this is it. This is the moment. This is the time that God has been causing me to wait for. This is the moment that has been building to now. And he steps out and he says, now I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump out. And I'd already mentioned that, that showing sadness in the first place was, was borderline death wish. And so to, to then try to back away in that moment would only further or raise the suspicions of the king. And he says, you know what? I, in my faith, I'm going to step out. I'm going to step out. And I'm going to ask that the king send me. Carefully choosing his words. But the king didn't withhold an ounce. God was preparing the heart of the king while he was also preparing the heart of Nehemiah so that when the moment came before him, he had the faith to ask. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's what's really cool. The word confidence uh, is the Greek word parousia, and it means freedom of speech. So, so when you read it, it's let us approach God's throne of grace with freedom of speech, meaning this, use of speech that conceals nothing and passes over nothing, outspokenness, frankness, or plainness, meaning you can go before God without having to carefully word your request. You can go before the throne room of God without having to withhold or conceal any thoughts or emotions or what you're facing or walking through. You can go before the Lord with complete freedom of speech. You can say what is on your mind. He already knows it anyways. You can fully express it to God, and you can walk confidently confidently into the throne room of God with your request. I've always wondered if I go to God and say, hey, God, can I be frank? If he ever thinks back, only if Jesus and I can be Dean and Sammy. It's a Rat Pack joke. If you're not born, you know, from like 1940. Anyways, that's a good one. Some of you get it later and you're going to go, oh, I see what he did there. And no, God never thinks, can I be Dean or Sammy? I promise you that. He's like, I'll just be God. All right. Man, that's a good one. Nonetheless, we can go before the throne of God with, with complete openness of heart. 
complete openness of thought and mind. And we can say, Lord, here is what's on my mind. Here is what I'm fighting with. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to see happen. And see, Nehemiah had to walk on eggshells before the king. And he had to carefully and meticulously choose his words so that the king's favor wouldn't shift and turn on him. But aren't you glad that we can go to a God with our request and with all the boldness in our minds and our thoughts, with the the fullness of our faith before the Lord and say, God, here is what I'm up against. Here is what we need. Here is what needs to happen. And God says, come on, speak to me freely. Tell me what you're thinking. Bring everything to me. We can walk boldly with confidence into the throne room of God that we don't have to withhold anything from the Lord. And a servant doesn't have that privilege, but a child does. And we're not servants of God, but we're children of God. Nehemiah in his faith steps out and speaks boldly before the king. All while choosing his words carefully, but nonetheless stepping out in faith, willing to ask, will you send me home? Will you send me home? Will you let me go back? Will you let me work in the city? Nehemiah's Request can be summed up into two phrases, send me and give me. Send me and give me. He couldn't leave without permission. He couldn't leave without permission. He couldn't just say, hey, king, by the way, I'm out. Uh, I'm going to head over to Jerusalem and do some work. And the king just be like, all right, cool. Hey, thanks for coming by. It's not how it's going to work. He can't leave without permission. He, he works for the king. He is under the rule and the authority of the king. Therefore, he says, I need you to send me. I need you to be the one that is sending me with letters of approval and permission and, and position so that I can go back home. He says, so send me. I need you to send me. He says, what do you want? He said, send me back home. If it pleases you, send me. I need you to send me. And then he says, and give me. He says, give me the letters that I need. Give me papers signed by the king with the seal of the king that people can look at and know that I have not only just been sent by you, but you have now given me authority to be able to do what I feel called to do, what God has called me to do. So he's, he's not withholding in his, his request. It wasn't as simple, just send me back home so I can try to develop a plan of process. No, he knew that he needed to walk in the authority that, that only comes from the king. And so he says, give me that authority. See, if you look in Ezra chapter four, and we're not gonna flip to it today, But if you look in Ezra chapter four, there had been previous attempts to rebuild and they were only only to be shut down by the people there and the governing bodies there at the time because they weren't sent under the authority of the king with letters from the king. He says, I need those letters. I need that. And all of that comes from the time of waiting and praying and saying, okay, God, build me up so that I know what to speak and what to ask for. And God is planning those things and setting those things in motion, not rushing the process so that everything can be planned out, every detail be in alignment so that when the opportunity arises, he had the faith to step out and ask. And in that moment with his well-thought-out plan and well-prayed-over preparation that he speaks and steps out in faith and the king says, you have it. You have it. But it wasn't until he was able to step out in faith and ask. Nehemiah understood that it wasn't about how will God respond, but who will respond to God. And he stepped up and he said, I will respond to God. I will respond to what God is having us to do. 
we have to have faith to ask God for the provisions. Nehemiah knew that only through the king would the timbers that he needed to rebuild be provided. Only through the king saying, yes, give these, give these limbs and these trees and this wood and everything that's needed to be able to build what needs to be built. Only by the king does that come. Because the king owned everything. And it wasn't like he could just start going into like the, the great you know, forest and be like, hey, I'm going to take some of these cedars with me. Uh, hope you don't mind. No, no, it had to come by the provision of the king. It had to come through the king. And so Nehemiah, knowing that he needs that, knowing that that may have been a flaw in the process before when trying to rebuild is that it wasn't under the authority. He says, send me and give me. God has called us to step out and trust him. He's called me to step out and trust him. $50,000 in 52 days is no small task. And, and if I'm honest, it, it, like I said earlier, like I say it and I go, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. And, and, and God is calling us to step out in faith. He's calling me to step out. He's stretching me right now, right before your very eyes. You are seeing a man being stretched by God. And we have to step out in faith. We have to respond. But I know God's called us to do it. He's called us to do it. He's challenging our faith. He's challenging our trust in him. And he will bring the provision. He will bring the provision. We have to have the faith to ask. We have to have the faith to ask God what it is he's calling each of us to do. We have to ask God to provide. Number three, he had faith to challenge others. He had faith to challenge others. And I'll read this quickly, verses 11 through 18. He says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what, what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So it's a few guys, and Nehemiah is the only one on a horse. But he said, by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the, the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. So basically what he's saying is, it was as I had been told it was. I am seeing it for myself. That's exactly what my, my brother told me. Uh, and so this is what I'm seeing. He said, then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up into the valley by night. So he got off his horse and he's walking up into the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Essentially, the only person he had talked to was the king. He said, this is the only person I've talked to. I'm examining it. I don't want people to think I'm crazy or trying to do something I shouldn't be. He said, so here he is in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah was a good leader. We can look at Nehemiah and go, man, you just, you just rallied the troops just right then and there. They're going, what is this guy doing? He's crazy. He's walking around looking at all this stuff and he's seeing everything. Something incredible about Nehemiah is, is that he saw more at night than what the people saw in the daylight. There's something that happens with, with complacency, right? And they had just become very, very, very comfortable with, with the damage and the ruin that lied around them. 
And Nehemiah walks in under the cover of night in darkness and sees how bad things are in the area. And he's like, we've got to do something about this. And so then he comes back and he stands before him and he says, do you see it? Do you see the, the, the walls that are down? Do you see the disgrace that we're living in? We are vulnerable. We are sitting ducks. These walls are just uh, down. They're, 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 there's nothing that is keeping anybody out. And he says, let's rebuild the walls. And he said, and then he tells him, the king's behind me on this. Like, I have favor from the king, by the way. And they say, let us rebuild the walls. He challenged them. He said, we can do better. We can, we can do greater things. We can do more. We don't have to be content with just where we are. We can actually move forward. We can actually see progress. We can say, let's get out of where we are. Let's move into the next level, into the, the greater levels of what God wants to do in this place. He's saying, these walls are down, but we can rebuild them. We can rebuild them. So the journey from, from where he was to Jerusalem was about 700 miles. And it would have taken him about two months to make the journey, because it is a slow process going 700 miles on a horse. And you're not trying to kill the horse, so you're just, you're just coasting. It's a long journey. It's a long time. And it wasn't just him. He went with, there was guards and other people that went with him. And, and this is, it's a process to get there. And it says when he, re- he entered the city, he waited three days. It, just a side note real fast. We all need rest. We all need rest. Nehemiah took three days. He said, you know what? I'm going to get there. I'm going to do nothing for three days. I'm just going to chill. I'm going to hang out. He probably saw some family, but but he took time to rest. If we're going to be the best we can be for what God is calling us to do, we have to rest. We have to take time to rest and recuperate and recover to be our best for the kingdom of God. After he rested, he checks out the land. He sees it all. I, I just love that that he stayed focused and stayed positive. He just says, hey, we see the problem. Let's do this. Let's fix this. And then he talked about how what his God had done. He focused on the glory and the greatness of the Lord. I love that, that, that he, he, he celebrates what God is doing in his life. He says, look what God is doing here. And he's, he's empowering me. He's, he's pushing me. And he said, we can do this. God is on our side. God is for us. God is with us. Let's go make it happen. And here's what's great. So I had a youth pastor when I was a senior in high school. This guy came in. His name is Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris is like awesome, right? He's, he's one of my mentors still to this day. This dude was about 6'1", 220, and just like jacked. I mean, this dude's yoked. And you're like, wow. And I was a senior in high school, and I weighed about 120. And um, so really, it's a joke. I weighed like 127. I don't, you know, don't want to downplay it too much, right? I mean, I was skinny, but not 120 skinny, right? And so we, we, like, he was just this super motivator, just incredible, like, hey, you're going to do great things all the time. I mean, he had these, these sayings and these phrases that, that we deemed and we called Pastor Christianisms. And so he was always like the, like the continual encourager, but he had these things where he would just try to use every week, it seemed like. Anytime you have a conversation, you left going, he said like four of his phrases, like in that one conversation, like, does he have just a limited... But anyways, so here's some of them. Ready? Satan's candy is sugar-coated but rotten in the middle. That was the one he said all the time. And as a youth pastor, that's gold, right? You go, yeah, hear me, kids. You're going to have fun having sin for a while, but it's going to lead to destruction, right? So that's how that plays out. So Satan's candy is sugar-coated rotten in the middle. And then he had this one. This was a famous one, and he ripped it off of somebody else, but it became his over time. And he said this, show me your friends, 
and I will show you your future. Like, hey, you wanna, you're going to end up like them if you keep hanging out with them, so you, or, or, or it's going to be a good or a bad. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And then this one, all the time, whether you think you can or you think you can't, either way you're right. So this is, this is my youth pastor, and we're talking all the time, we're hearing this stuff. And then he always said this, I can't help but win today. I can't help but win today. But the one we heard the most was this, I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. And I tell you, that is something that is just burned in my mind and in my heart. Then I look at it and I say, I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. If you don't know uh, this about me, I I get pretty excited about things and I get motivated and I'm going to go after it as hard as I possibly can. I get pretty passionate and I say, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. And some of that is instilled in me from a leader who challenged me, who motivated me, who pushed me and said, you can do great greater than you ever thought possible. You can do more than you ever thought possible, but you have to say in my heart, in my mind with God, I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. And see, Nehemiah goes and he rallies the people. and He says, you see the need all around us. We can do more. We live in a city that is need all around us. We have people whose lives are lying in ruins and they may not even be aware of the fact that they are in desperate need of a savior, but we are here and we can become complacent and be okay with that or we can recognize the need around us and we say I cannot be defeated and I will not quit we will rise up and we will run after and we will see the people in this world come to know Jesus because he has challenged us to do so Nehemiah said, I am not satisfied or or content with the way things are. I'm not content with the ruins that we're lying in and the disgrace that we carry. We will rebuild these walls. And there's a reason why God has instilled and burned in my heart a desperate need to see us do something great that challenges our faith and pushes us. That's why this all-in campaign is is crucial and vital because it, it sets us up for success to reach people for Jesus to reach people for Jesus. Grace Hill is a place to belong, to become like Christ, to be light to the world around us, all for the sake of changed lives. That is why we do what we do. That is why we are pushing into this all-in campaign. That is why God is challenging us in our faith because he says there is greatness still to be reached There are new heights to still be found. There are people that need Jesus. And we have to go after it with everything inside of us. We cannot be defeated and we will not quit. I'll invite the worship team to join me. If I got a little too excited for you, I do not apologize. I think sometimes there's moments when, when, when you're just, I, I think when your passion has to come out, when you go, okay, I can, I can restrict and withhold for only so long. And at some point, it's kind of like the whole uh, shaking the, the Coke bottle thing. And at some point, the pressure needs to be released. Remember as a kid, we would take it and we would shake up this bottle and shake it up, 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 shake it up. And it's like, you just bought a brand new Coke all for one moment. And you'd shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. Or a can and you'd shake it, shake it, shake it. And it would just get hard and hard because it's just so, like, just full of pressure. And then we'd go out in the church parking lot and we would just chunk it as high in the air as we possibly could. And then it was like scatter. 
because you don't know what it's going to do. And it would hit and just be like, and just start spraying everywhere. And we thought that was the coolest thing in the world. It's what you do when you're 11. I don't know. But I feel like that. That, 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 that it's just building and building and building and building that just like that, it's that pressure. And so at times I go, I just I have to let this passion out. I have to, to express it because here's the deal. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. I can't make it happen by myself. Lauren and I can't do it, just the two of us. We all have to decide, are we all in or are we stepping back? Because all in is more than just the money. All in is also, am am I gonna give my time? Am I gonna give my talents? Am I gonna give who I am to the kingdom of God? Am I gonna give what God has given me so that I can be used to see people come to know Jesus? Because if we're all in, I promise you, there is nothing that can stop us. We can't help but win today. We can't help but win today. So the question is, who will respond to God? Who will respond to God? We see the need. We know the need. It's not hard to think or to imagine that there's a need outside of the walls of our church. It's not, it's not hard to, to come across that and go, oh man, there's, there's need. But who will respond to God? Let me pray over you. Father, we love you. Lord, we love you. God, you're so good. You're so good. God, I thank you that you take time to speak to us individually. God, that you take time to pour into us, to challenge us and to push us, to increase our faith, to motivate us. And God, I pray that in this moment that we don't just allow it to go to voicemail. God, that we pick up and we respond. That we respond. God, I know that over these next few weeks as we get ready to take pledges and to step out and say, God, what are you leading us to do? What are you leading me to do? What are you speaking to our family? Lord, I know that there's gonna be moments when when maybe these things come back to mind or come back to thought when you speak. God, I pray that you just allow us to be obedient and to respond to your leading. To respond to your leading. And to trust you trust you, to know, God, that, that as, as we give, that you are going to continue to bring provision, and you're going to continue to bring increase, and that you're going to continue to to increase our abilities so that we can reach more. God, at the end of all of this, or the, 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 the goal in all of this is that people come to know Jesus because of this. So God, I pray that as you speak to our hearts, as you challenge us, as you challenge us to recognize and to see, God, what you're doing. Lord, I pray that you give us the faith to respond. Give us the faith to be obedient. Give us the faith to step out and to trust you. We thank you for it. We give you glory and we give you honor for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I know this and I believe this. And I've said this countless times, but, but hear me that God wants obedience. I think so many times we overcomplicate the will of God. 
and we overcomplicate what God wants to do or through us or in us and how he wants to use all God wants from us is obedience. He wants obedience. And that's, that's obedience to his word. That's obedience to his leading of the spirit. There's just, just stepping out and just being obedient. And some of that requires faith. Obedience requires faith. It does. And, that's, and that's, they go hand in hand and they work together and we got to trust the Lord and our faith. And our, it's just all this wrapped together. But, but God wants us to be obedient. So my challenge as we leave is, is one, who will respond? And two, will you be obedient? Not just to respond and say, what do you have to say, God? And then, and then you just go, oh, about that. I'm going to be in Costa Rica during that time. Right? Say, so, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to step out. I'm going to trust you. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you, God. Oh, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in your church. God, I thank you for what you're doing in Lake Highlands. God, what a great time to be here as a church, Lord, as, as, as you have been preparing and preparing and preparing the soil. And God, as we step out in obedience, Lord, I pray that you just begin to bring the harvest. Bring the harvest. So, God, we, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that, that you were to challenge and to motivate us and to push us because you are not content to leave us where we are but that every day we're more and more and more like you so God I pray blessing over everyone here God I pray that that, that you bring them back on Tuesday night for an incredible time of prayer as you make us a church of prayer as you make us a house of prayer a family of prayer Lord I pray that you bring us back here on Tuesday for prayer Lord and then I pray God that you go with us this week that we can be light to the world around us. We thank you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God. And we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.